Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome back to Lit as we discuss the Psalter, as we said last week, the Psalms, praying the way Jesus prayed, and the ups and downs of the life of faith. So it's good to be back with Bryn as we do that. And Bryn, where do you want to dive into today? Where do we want to dive in on the Psalms and the Psalter? That's a good question. I think we have a lot that we wanted to try to cover to to talk about what is going on with this book, um, a book of the Bible, but is also a kind of standalone as well. And a big part of the Book of Common Prayer Um how about we start by talking about the authorship? Because the book of Psalms is often called um, the Songs of David. And uh, the church has has assumed um, and has referenced David as the author of the Psalms for quite a long time. Um, but there's a little bit of controversy about that. Maybe we could jump in there. Yeah, and, to be, and just to highlight that, this is over it's 223 pages within the book of common prayer is how important that every psalm is listed in our book of common prayer mm-hmm. just to show how important it is and i think uh this is a great way to kind of let's put these in their historical context so for the most part we were we're not sure that the psalms didn't exist necessarily or some form of psalms or or um the way we think of the psalms what am i trying to say here there was other religious traditions around the time of the Israelites that had things that looked very similar to Psalms that were being utilized in some kind of prayerful way in, in a, uh, a worshipful sense. And what I mean by that is take the Egyptians. They had uh, poetry that was often sung in their temple life that looked a lot like Psalms. And why I think that's important is not necessarily that I'm not saying that uh, Jewish life and and the ancient Israelites stole from the Egyptians and then made it about Yahweh or Elohim or uh, all the different names for God in the Psalms, but that there was this kind of, I think, within our human hearts and minds, the way we worship, we like to sing to God. And the Psalms in particular give us words in a language that really wraps itself around human emotions from the highs to the lows. Mm-hmm. And then the Psalms themselves, uh, we really attribute to King David as being the one that in our minds who kind of may have brought this, this, this culture of praying to God in a very uniform, uh, solidified way. And potentially he's the one who, who even uh, formalized the musical setting so they all fit together, the psalms that existed during his time. And, and of course, there's many psalms that were written much after King David. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Many of the psalms are that way. So he's not responsible for every psalm that's in the Psalter. Not at all. That would be a misnomer to think that King David wrote every psalm. In my, I will go on a limb here, Bryn, and take the heat for this one. In my academic opinion... Answer. There's no way he wrote all the Psalms unless he lived way longer than the Bible says he did. Um, but what he did start very early on, and you get this, uh, and when you read Chronicles and First and Second Kings, uh, you read about King David. He was very musical. He was very worshipful. He was very immersed in the temple. 
So a lot of people attribute this formalization or this solidifying of the Psalms to him mm-hmm. uh, because he was that worshipful and he wanted a a very particular way to invite the people to to kind of uh, together talk to God and worship God in a very powerful way. Yeah, and I think it's just worth mentioning that um, that as you said, historically, we know um, he couldn't have written all of them because so many of them um, came after his after his time. Um, for instance, we have psalms um, that were that are about um, the Babylonian exile, and that was you know a long time after um, David's reign. So. We do have stuff in there that um, that doesn't have anything to do with David, but he does get the sort of cred for having, uh, you know, started some kind of tradition that that is continued on after that. And I think for Christians, and maybe this is me going out on a limb here, you could definitely push back on me. What's interesting when we think about David, and I think the reason Christians latch onto David and the Psalter is because of the Davidic line. And Jesus's connection to that Davidic line. Yeah. That there's, because we know Jesus being raised a Jew would have been immersed in learning the Psalms as a child. Uh, again, I think it's important to just say this out loud. If, if we can really actually own that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, that he was raised just like other Jewish boys and girls in his particular place of Nazareth, that we know mm-hmm. he would have been immersed in the Psalms and that he would have started to embody, or it does embody those. It's clear that Jesus had that in his, in his, in his kind of framework in his DNA as he was carrying out his ministry on earth. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago in the podcast or a couple of episodes ago in the podcast about, um, the repetition of our liturgy and the fact that we pray these words that, that give us words, that they form our language. They give us expressions that we then use um, to, to offer to God what is often otherwise inexpressible. Um, and the Psalms are really the core of that, I think. They, they give us language that helps us to express something about the complexity of the human experience and the transcendence of God and our need for our connection to God through that. And then what's most beautiful to me about that is that it doesn't just give us language, um, but the Psalms were language that Jesus used, that Jesus himself used. So throughout the Gospels, we have um, Jesus quoting scripture um, and oftentimes quoting the Psalms. Like we know that Jesus was raised to use the Psalms in his own worship of God and in his own prayers. Uh, and so again, as, as we've talked about throughout this podcast, there's a, there's a tradition that we step into through our liturgy and the Psalms are are absolutely part and parcel to that tradition um, that we align ourselves with when we when we use those psalms in our own worship. That we're connected to our Jewish tradition that Jesus um, is 
part of that connection to the Jewish tradition. And then we're connected to Jesus, to the early church, to, you know, churches and, and Christian people throughout the world who continue to use the Psalms in their prayer and worship and in their expressions to God and about God. Yeah. And, and that's, that is always been, I think there's one thing I hope people really hear us say is that the book of common prayer and Anglicanism did not just cook all this up. We didn't just make it all up. We're, We're not the owners of this, but that we really deeply value tradition and that we, uh, as, as I always, I always joke with you that you say so eloquently, but we jump in the river of this tradition mm-hmm. and it's been flowing long before our time. And we just, we just kind of jump in and, and continue, but not just by ourselves, not just a bunch of Anglicans, but all of Christianity gathering around this deep tradition. And I also think it's important. The Psalms remind us that even our liturgic, our worship life has developed out of these deep historical traditions uh, like Jewish temple life, Jewish synagogue life informs a lot of Christian worship. And the Psalms are just one of those, um, we'll call it one of those connection points that has carried for almost in its identical form straight through. You know, I was just thinking, I was just thinking, I have some really good friends that live here in Austin who, who, uh, who my wife Vanessa grew up with, and they're both devout practicing Jews. And one of the things they always talk about when they go down to synagogue is the Psalms that they read and they read them and or sing them just like we do. And I laughed and I just thought of this when they came, sometimes they'll come to like when I got installed as the rector at St. Luke's here in Austin mm-hmm. came, and they're always mesmerized by the fact of the way we recite and or sing the Psalms every time they've ever come to one of my churches in support of something we're doing. Yeah. Um, they're like, that is just like what we do. It's almost identical. And I think there's power in that, right? There's, there's this huge power in the fact that, again, we didn't make this up, but this rich tradition of speaking and praying to the divine using words that sometimes we can't find, but words that are, are there that others have used and forged is really powerful and important. Because you, if you think about it, and I know you know this, Brian, but the Psalms cover so much. I mean, you have lament, you have adoration, you have praise and joy. You, uh-huh. And the one thing that kind of permeates all the Psalms, it, it's hope, hope, yeah. no matter if it's a lament or sometimes people just get angry at God. They're just angry mm-hmm. at what's going on. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of us without, I would be willing. Maybe this is a bold statement. You can shoot me down, Brent. I'd be willing to bet most people are not able to get angry at God, except for the Psalms giving the permission to do it. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think that there's something not just beneficial liturgically, not just beneficial to our worship um, of the Psalms, but there's some psychological benefit to having words that that do give that kind of permission to express anger, to express desperation, to express sorrow that sometimes we can't admit we feel. Um, but you know, the, the feelings and the sentiments that we harbor, but that we can't admit are the ones that are most dangerous to us. Um, and that will be barriers and impediments because we don't see that they're there. Um, so I think there can be some, some deep benefit to us of, 
praying the Psalms, not just because they connect us to our tradition or because they connect us to Jesus. I mean, those are certainly benefits, but also they help us to just be connected to, to the real raw place that we, that we live and that we don't, maybe we don't always want to live. Yeah. That's true. I think for everybody, we're always, always, uh, and sometimes, in, well, not always, but there's moments in our lives where we're places that we're scared that we're we're scared of where we are, and we're yeah. looking for words to to help us, or even some to know somebody else has felt that way. And then the Psalms are often a place mm-hmm. people turn to. I, you know, I I don't know about you, but I know pastorally, even as as of this morning, I've just as I was gathering with this family for end of life we started reading some of the Psalms. Yeah. Yep. And that's, um, that's just, it just, it just provides words in that moment. You know, it just provides words when words seem to be fleeting and people feel like they're on their own little Island, mm-hmm. start reading the Psalms. You go, gosh, I'm not by myself. Yeah. Not only is God here, but people have been in this position before and not just in this kind of, metaphorical kind of way in a literal listen to these people crying and praising God and lamenting and joyfully entering into a a relationship with God through a psalm prayerfully through a psalm yeah I know that's what happened this morning for me and this family um, and it's happened before in other pastoral settings too so yeah I, I think it's it's such a they're probably the one of the most underutilized portions of our prayer book by an individual, I would imagine. You know, it's interesting if we think about the fact that there are 150 Psalms that are compiled in the Psalter and that I learned this uh, doing research or maybe relearned this and doing research for this episode there are five different books or sort of collections of Psalms that are put together in those uh, 150 Psalms. Um, But the, the majority of the Psalms, like almost fully half of those are considered Psalms of lament. Now, I think what's so remarkable about that is that if we were to look at the percentage of emotional experiences that we have in the course of a day, in a week, in a year, we probably wouldn't tend to think that half of that would be lament. Um, but yet in, in these expressions that we have of the emotional experience in the Psalms, half of it is is lament or songs of being frustrated, of being perplexed, of being saddened, of, of confusion, of fear, of pain. Uh, that's, that actually is a, a lot of the human experience. Big time, big time. It's just, we, I don't think uh, maybe today we embrace that as much because we're not sure if we're allowed to, we're not sure if God really wants that. As if we can, as if God doesn't already know, you know, as the yeah. early church says, as if God doesn't already know what's going on, we try to hide it. Yeah. Uh, and in the Psalms, 
granted, I mean, right. So some of, some of the laments are because they, you know, they broke their covenant and then they're kind of in this really sticky position because in actuality, God did exactly what God said he was, was going to do. Yeah. Um, and, but then they're just kind of lamenting, why is it going on for so long? It's particularly the Psalms that clearly come out of the exile of, yeah. Sure. After the first few hundred years, they're probably like, well, okay. I, we realize we messed up, but why are we still doing this for 300 years? <laughs> yeah. How many more years are we going to go? And, uh, and you get that. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of us, I would think that in the, in the line of what you're, I think you're saying that I think is important for us to hear is uh, the Psalms give us a voice to lament and lamenting is okay to do. Yep. Absolutely. We actually lament more than we think we do. And the the psalms even of lament or of of frustration or of woe or you know all of that they still have this element of hope. They still proclaim their trust in God and their you know request for deliverance from those experiences like acknowledging that at our lowest at the worst that we can feel at the the bottom of our human experience um we still praise god uh in in hopeful expectance of of what god of what only god can provide yeah and i think that to tie all this back together to what we kind of talked about earlier is exactly where Jesus lands and why we hear Jesus quote the Psalms because that was, that is one of the major connection points with humanity and God or in the words of the Psalms. And Jesus embodied that uh, in a way that we are not able to, but embodied it and then utilized them in a way that we can to, um, to, to bring us all, deeper and more fully in relationship to himself and then to God. Um, well, Brent, I think, I think for the sake of today, we have covered a great deal of the Psalter. We have, I mean, there is a lot more that can be said about the Psalms and, and what's happening here, but hopefully we've been able to give a little bit of some context, a little bit of a historical overview and a little bit of a liturgical perspective on how we're using the Psalms and, and how they're part of um, uh, a rich, a, a, of the churches in particular, rich prayer life over yeah. centuries. And our, and also I think we did a good job. I think it's important. I want people to hear us say is we, we gave that overview. We also want to remind all of our listeners that, you know, the Psalms are something you can pray individually, which Mm -hmm. is really important. And I think that's a good transition. When you join us next week, we're going to, you know, so take these Psalms with you uh, and just to keep them in the back of your mind as we talk about prayers and colics and thanksgivings as they're presented in the prayer book. And, and I think it will be interesting just to uh, just kind of let this conversation about the Psalms kind of soak in the back as we talk about, prayers and thanksgivings and the colics, because I think there's a cute, there's a, there is a connection point there that um, yeah. we can, we can hopefully make. So when you join us next week, we're going to dive into the colics or the collects as my, uh, as my nephew likes to always say the collects, <laughs> uh, but they're known as colics and the prayers and thanksgivings in the prayer book. So I hope you'll join us next week. 